Well, hello and welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And my headphones just fell off. Hang on. <laughs> oh, no. There we go. Got them back. Got them the back. audio was too good. It just blew it out your ears. Um, That's the best I've ever done that intro. Definitely. Nailed should, it. You absolutely crushed it, PJ. Um, and just to ruin your moment, I have to issue this amazing caveat that the opening is a lie. We are not revisiting Grant Morrison's seminal run <laughs> on JLA. We're, we're off. For, we're off. We're off for reservation, PJ. We're gone off we're piste. Off we're off piste. Anything could happen. Um, and we're actually we're, we are recording later than we've ever recorded before in the day. That is, yeah. So here's a this, shocking insight into this this recording for you folks. My curtains are closed. As are mine. As are mine. I mean, I it's normally it's dark out there. Yeah, I normally uh, get to enjoy at least some. Um, oh, um, oh, I can't even remember the word for it. Oh, God, this is a terrible anecdote. I sunlight. Ba- side, yeah, sunlight, but not direct, indirect sunlight, uh. like a, a, a out of a corner of my eye while we are recording. But now it is nothing but cold and grey because it is winter, PJ. Because this is a very special holiday edition of the JLA Casks. Woohoo! Christmas special. Uh, and if you really want to peek between the curtains of, of production, uh, this is the latest, chronologically, the latest episode we have recorded at the time of recording. However, you will be hearing it ahead of some previously recorded episodes because we thought it'd be a really good idea to leap back in. And if we and we we were just like, oh, this is a, a, a just serendipitous. If we squeeze in an episode now, we can get it out just in time for Christmas, and we get to talk about something a little different. Yeah, uh, as we record this one, last weekend we we finished Rock of Ages. We recorded the final chapter of Rock of Ages. I think you folks out there in the real world still have two chapters. You have us yes. talking about two chapters to go yet to listen to. Uh, so we'll try not to spoil the end of Rock of Ages for you this week. Um, it turns out society was to blame. And um, Darkseid was Superman's father all along. <laughs> oh, God. Is that the laziest trope, PJ? Yes. Yes. That's why yeah. it's become a cliche. It's, yeah. I've got to say, there's a personal pet peeve of mine in in kind of any... Um, universe now is is making it incredibly small by it be ultimately being a family affair. Oh, like, like the um, to be honest, the whole Marvel universe is the biggest example. Is I I wrote a whole blog piece back in the, my days on Sidekick Cast about how essentially every single person in the Marvel universe is related to Hank Pym. Oh. Oh, do you mean biologically related or... Um... through Some are biologically, then there are others through marriage. And um, so, okay, okay. Hank uh, married Janet. Who and was his second wife. The, yep, the wasp. He had a first wife uh, who he had a daughter with before her, who's the, the second wasp, is the daughter. Nadia Pym, I think. Oh, wow. Um, 
technically Ultron is also his son. Ultron is his son, which would so make Vision is his grandson, and Joe Casca is his granddaughter. Scarlet Witch is therefore his granddaughter-in-law, which for a while meant that he also in his family tree were Magneto and Quicksilver. Yeah, yes, and uh, and Polaris. Um, yes, and um, of course Wonder Man. Yeah, provided the original brain pattern, which gave rise to the Vision. Yeah, so it could be argued that he is also kind of like an adoptive grandson of Hank Pym. Yeah, he's he's the Vision's brother. Um, I can't remember. I'm sure there's a, a way that ties it into the Summers lineage as well. And all no, the complications really? there. I'm sure there's some... I can't remember what it is now. Um, it's got to be more than Polaris dated Havoc for ages. There's something else to it, I'm sure. But obviously the original Human Torch as well, because he was... Uh, oh, he provided the body that body, became yeah. the vision. And then, but then yes. they were separated. And, yeah, so he's... Oh, he's uh, that too. was Immortus's doing during yeah. the Forever War? Yeah. Yes. Hey, so, kids. <laughs> yeah, ma- ma- the Marvel Universe is just one big family. I I think I've said this before on air, but like, I really like Hank Pym. And I know this is a problem with like big continuity writing where lots of creators have worked on a character. But I, uh, I, I, um, I had a load of the... Um, the uh, essential collections of that Marvel did mm. where they would reprint their original comics from the sixties on essentially newspaper, very, you know, kind of black and white, low grade, low quality paper, but they print them in like these big uh, phone books. I mean, yeah. sorry, you, you know this PJ, don't you? Sorry. You've, um, yeah, you, I've got a few. I've still, I sold most of them. I've still got my collection of the essential Godzilla, <laughs> every issue of Marvel's Godzilla this? comic. Oh my God. Wow. Um, I, I have uh, the Essential Fantastic Four, a couple of volumes. I've got um, a few volumes of the Essential Avengers. My brother had X-Men, which was the Claremont and Byrne run from the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, which is fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, I loved the early Avengers books. Absolutely yeah. loved them. They, Me they, too. They read so well, even in the 2000s when I was revisiting them. And I loved Hank Pym. Like, I really, really, even when he was calling himself Goliath, and God knows he's had different costumes over the years, but I just really, really liked the character. And um, I liked the fact that he was just a... Marvel had a... They had so many, like, um, just noble scientists Mm. back in the day. Um, And then, of course, the character essentially got kind of... um, for, forever ruined really by um the uh, uh domestic abuse storyline yep. in late in later years um and now you know if you do an adaptation featuring that character people go to the domestic abuse storyline a case would be um mark miller's ultimates which is of course an incredibly cynical book but, yeah and that, um, that took it to extremes as well that the even when I liked that book, I felt uncomfortable about how far he pushed that angle. Yeah, and I, th- I think we've talked about this before, PJ. But the um, the Avengers cartoon, um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, yep, 
had a fantastic version of Hank Pym. Like I, I, I loved it. I, I just loved it. I loved. Um, he was he was a pacifist. He was genu- genuinely like, hey, I'm a superhero. I'm on the Avengers, but I hate the idea that we just go and punch everyone to solve all our problems. And I genuinely believe in rehabilitation and helping people. Yeah, it was well good. I, I also really like that cartoon's take on the Wasp. Actually, I thought she was great in that too. Mm. It's a really good cartoon. If, mm. if if you haven't seen it, listener, track it down. It's really good. <laughs> Does a wonderful job of um, retelling Avengers continuity, uh, so kind of starting from the founding of a team, while working in sixty odd years of continuity, is really very good. Um, um, I may be getting off topic again. This is ostensibly a podcast about the JLA, and we do <laughs> we do talk about the Avengers a lot. We might we might have to do a companion piece down, down the line. Well, they're they're comparable in many ways, aren't they? The Avengers and the JLA—they're the 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 big name characters teaming up for whichever universe. Should we um, should we very quickly state um, our kind of intent for this episode, or or what the format's going to be? Yeah, when we say this is a very special episode of the JLA cast, it doesn't mean that one of us is going to suddenly be revealed to have a drug addiction, and we're staging an intervention, and there's a big message at the end. That's not what we're doing, unless. John has something I don't know about that he's about to tell me. Uh, coffee's a drug. Shit, then we've both got an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to slurp down the rest of my uh, oh, yes. uh, espresso. Mm. Oh, sweet Java. Uh, but sorry, PJ, you were saying. <laughs> no, well, what we're doing this episode, um, on Twitter recently, uh, a, a good friend of the podcast... Um, I can't remember who it was now. It's <laughs> Andy. Andy. Thank you. So sorry, Andy. Andy Conduit Turner. Andy Conduit Turner, friend of the podcast, friend of us. We, Just a we know generally like nice person as well. Uh, he was asked a question. He was answering a question that I believe was posed on there. Of it was something about who in indie comics do you, would you like to see working on a big two book and which book? Uh, I think was the gist of it. And, yeah, and, yeah, basically. Andy very kindly answered that he would like to see uh, us. Writing the JLA, because as Andy, as Andy, you know, rightly knows, um, we are the only creators working today with the courage to go where JLA needs to, you know, to just lay it on the line, you know, just real shotgun storytelling, stick it to the man. Yes, um, revolution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Andy gets that we're firebrands, and we'd we do the title justice. So. We're, we're the hot young things at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're young. We're still young. We're relevant, PJ. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but we, it, we, you know, it, it started us talking about what would we do with the book? Who would be on the team? And then John realised, hey, there's a podcast in this. John being forever the venture capitalist going oh we could turn this into an episode this is content <laughs> content gold and I, and I leaned back in my chair and, and twanged my suspenders and uh smoked my cigar but that's what this episode is going to be we're both going to talk about what we would do if we were given the keys to the jla and uh, we've also got a couple of listener questions that we've decided to throw in and answer as well Yes, indeed. Yeah, no, we um, it's uh, it's going to be a bit freeform. We're just going to take it where it goes. But uh, 
yeah, we it's nice. It's wonderful to actually have some listener questions. Uh, thank you to everyone who who kind of um, reached out. And uh, yeah, it's always a joy to talk JLA, PJ, particularly with you. Um, but yeah, this is going to be like the proper just freeform sitting in a pub, <laughs> putting the world to rights JLA discussion you've all been dreaming of, uh, assuming a reality where you can actually meet in a pub. Yes. Uh, I remember those days. And a reality where, in my case, you turn up at the pub with a whole pitch you've written for, J- <laughs> for your yeah. JLA series. I, I think continuing uh, uh, themes that have developed over the course of our podcasting series, um, PJ has once again proven to be the the more um, scholarly member of, 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 of the crew. And that, that surprised yeah. me as well, everybody. I've got to be honest. You you've done your research. You've written notes. Um, I I have one page of an A five notebook. You maybe have several reams of. I don't know what do you have. I imagine some kind of like uh, leather bound tome. No, I, snap on the... I I typed it up on a computer when I was supposed to be doing you know the the job I get paid to do, and mm. uh, it on on Word it came in at about a page and a half. Oh, nice. Well, well, bravo, bravo. And honestly, if I hadn't, um, if my day job hadn't actually been extra demanding this week, I probably would have done the same. I spent the first half of the week doing work, like JLA work. And then <laughs> Important it, work. Yeah, and now I'm kind of sitting at the back of the exam room looking at the hastily scribbled notes on my inner forearm and kind of praying that I'll be able to get through. Okay. Oh. I've got to be honest. My page and a half, I could it could have been a lot longer. But one, I didn't want to be recording an episode for that long, and two, you wouldn't want to listen to it, so <laughs> I, I paired it back. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to be a this ain't, this ain't going to be a Midsummer's Nightmare scenario. This is going to be a, a, a concise, punchy podcast. We're gonna we're gonna do it. Um, so, PJ, where should we begin? Uh, do you want to like a like a fantasy football league? Do you want to kind of reel off our you know go over teams first or do you want to go straight into story i think story because my my team aside from the obvious is sort of dictated by the story that i've come up with okay 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 so yeah let's go story first do you do you want to go first or should i no in in fact pj um because i'm just going to say it out loud i think you've done more work uh, let's dive into yours, okay? And I'll 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 chip in occasionally and maybe yes. use that as a as a as a as a sounding board. Jump in whenever you like. So what I, what I did was I started writing the the plot to the story I'd come up with, and I realised I was basically writing the plot to the first issue of my series on JLA. Wonderful. So I'm going to give you my issue one plot. Okay. And once I hit the end of the issue one plot, uh, then I will. I then went. This is too much i can't read all of this i then condensed and sort of so i'll do my issue one and then tell you sort of what the rest of the bare bones of the story okay amazing uh, is. yeah now i do want to preface this by saying uh i'm not overly familiar with dc continuity post i would say probably post final crisis that's where i sort of started to drop off a bit start to lose yeah. it I've read a few books since then, but I don't really know the ins and outs, who is around and who isn't. I also have favourite versions of characters. So I would say this book, uh, assume it's set before Green Lantern Rebirth. Yeah. Yeah, I um, yeah, I think that goes without saying. Like, I wouldn't worry about trying to fit this into whatever the current DC yeah. continuity is, because 
that way madness lies. I essentially went in not thinking about continuity at all. I just went, hey, what story would I want to tell? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's fine. Like, you know, continuity is lovely, but um, I always like, I like it being in the background. I just like um, an implicit understanding that these characters have a proud history and have known each other a while. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to have to worry about the latest universe reset or whatever. So, so I'll just dive in then. The stage, the stage is yours. So, issue one of uh, whatever my series is is going to be, and I've assumed this will be a limited series, and I will get to tell this one complete story, and then DC fire me. <laughs> so we, amazing! Yeah, <laughs> we open at the Q Foundation. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. There are alarms going off and guards are sort of running around. It's a bit chaotic and you, you see someone shouting that the Aztec Mark II armor has been taken and they can't let her leave. We then see someone, a woman, wearing the new Aztec armor. This is, I've called her Nueve. Bearing in mind, the Aztec we know and love was Uno, which Spanish for one. Okay. And I've gone with the Spanish for nine. This comes in later on. So she's wearing the outfit. She blasts her way out of the Q Foundation and she flies off at speed. That's our cold open. Quick question. Yes. Uh, Not leaning into into continuity, but do you imagine this particular version of the DC Universe as being, say, post- the Morrison run on yes, JLA. very okay, much so, so. There is that kind of framework from before. Yes. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm going to say, in, in my head, I'd be doing this a couple of years after World War Three, the final oh, okay. arc of the Morrison run. Cool, 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 cool. Because I'm just, in my head, I'm thinking, where would the Q, found, like, what what position would the Q Foundation be in nowadays? So well, That ties into my larger story as well, you see. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. this, is, this is encouraging. I like this. So that's that's the opening scene. I'm not doing credits yet because I have a very specific idea in my head of where the title and credits would appear. So we cut from there to Apocalypse. And we're with Desaad. He's got a prisoner. We don't clearly see the prisoner. They're chained up in a cell. We just see hints of chains. And Desaad is taunting them, telling them there's no escape. There's no preventing his master's plans. You know, usual villain stuff. He's going on, the the ruler of Apocalypse will soon be the ruler of the universe. Desaad then leaves, and we see who his prisoner in chains in this cell is. This is a splash page. This is where the title and credits appear. Desaad's prisoner is Darkseid. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Big open. This is the... Um, I'm actually enjoying... I'm role-playing in my head being the... Uh, the editor-in-chief of DC <laughs> and I'm, I'm leaning back in my chair and this is when I lean forward yeah <laughs> you know, I like my my my, my fingers been hovering over the button that I would like <laughs> the trapdoor <laughs> under my feet you know I like they've got a I've got yeah, there's like a trap door which leads down to a stainless steel pit in which John Byrne is imprisoned and <laughs> I press the button and you just ascend to be devoured by the burn. <laughs> and, no! And, and now I'm like, no. You know, like my, I'm bringing my hand back and leaning forward. <laughs> I'm intrigued, PJ. Good. That's what I wanted. You have a stay of execution. 
So we next cut to Metropolis, uh, where Superman is in a park doing a, a charity event for kids, you know, something like that. And this is this is classic big blue red cape Superman. Mm. Uh, and he is unexpectedly attacked by the Parasite, uh, the classic Superman villain who can steal the life energy and of, of people, leave them feeling weak, and he can even do this to Superman. So because it's a surprise attack and Superman is also attempting to keep all the people in the park safe while he fights him off, Parasite is able to weaken him and knock Superman unconscious. Parasite then opens a boom tube and carries Superman away. Oh, okay. So this is a big deal. Uh, Superman's missing. And uh, Lois Lane calls him Batman. She's probably got his number. And... uh, Batman realizing boom tube this means new god stuff this is big so he goes he calls in the rest of the JLA which at this point is just the big 7 so it's Batman Wonder Woman Green Lantern Kyle Rayner the Flash Wally West Aquaman Martian Manhunter and because Superman isn't there and he's like new gods we need power he brings in Supergirl Kara Zor-El Superman's cousin I've mostly put her in because I'm a massive Supergirl fan uh, yeah, and and uh, you uh, specifically said Kara Zor-El, yes. so uh, the f- fourth Supergirl? The one, yeah, I believe she's the one who was introduced in the Batman Superman team-up book by Jeff Loeb and Michael Turner. Yes, and then, yes, my, yes, Michael Turner, yeah, and um, uh, wasn't it like um, Apocalypse got hold of her? Yeah. And they tried, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And is also the one who's the biggest inspiration on the character in the current TV show. So So and so not the cuz I'm just thinking Supergirl continuity there was the original Supergirl uh pre-crisis Supergirl. Yeah. There was the second Supergirl who was Matrix who yes, was Linda Danvers Matrix. Yeah. And then was there a third Supergirl that Peter David did a lot with that was still matrix that was still matrix okay right yes and didn't matrix come from an alternate universe or something like that yes she was from a parallel reality and she was this weird shape-shifting psychic energy creature uh who then also was revealed to be an angel it was it was weird comics everybody comics but no Um, it's 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 superman's cousin supergirl that i I am bringing into the league um so the League start their investigation, and they're like, right, we've got to contact New Genesis, but they can't get hold of, of any of their contacts. No, they can't get hold of Orion, Big Barda, Mr. Miracle, Light Ray, anybody. It's just a solid blackout on communications with New Genesis. Cool. So Superman wakes up, and he finds himself, Parasite's still there, still weakening him, and uh, he's approached by Kanto, who uh, New Gods fans will recognise as being one of Darkseid's uh, higher-ranking lackeys. He's the guy with the beret and the rapier. The musketeer dude, yeah. I can bring a Jack Kirby illustration to mind, but I don't know the character very well. Yeah. So Kanto basically says that Superman's going to start working for Apocalypse and for the ruler of Apocalypse, and he sort of walks towards him with, with a box. We don't see what's in the box, but Superman does, and Superman's worried. Uh, that's the end of that scene. Cut back okay. to the JLA, still trying to plan their next move, when a boom tube opens in the watchtower. 
because they're still in the Watchtower in my version. They're not in the Hall of Justice. I think that's cool. silly. I want them. I don't alone. like. I don't like the Hall of Justice either. I I like it, but not nearly as much as the Watchtower. So yeah. the Watchtower is just by far the best headquarters. Well, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah. Watchtower, good. So through this boom tube uh, tumbles a battered, bleeding, costume all torn, Mister Miracle, cool. and he just collapses on the floor. Uh, in front of the League. We then cut again, where the new Aztec, uh, she arrives in... She finds herself inexplicably drawn to and arrives in Star City, where she finds a lot of the populace weirdly acting like zombies. There's there's something weird going on with them. She doesn't quite know what it is. Uh, and she's sort of just flying around trying to figure it out when she's nearly hit by an arrow. And she crashes into a building while trying to dodge it. And Green Arrow, Oliver Queen because he's my preferred Green Arrow. I know we disagree on that one, John, but for me it is the OG Green Arrow. Uh, he stands over her with the bow, demands her to know who she is and what she's done to his city, because obviously Star City is Oliver Queen's city. And I'm talking the proper Oliver Queen, the sort of snarky, quite funny guy, not the Batman rip-off they put in the TV show. Right, okay. So we're not we're not talking smouldering... Uh, uh, you know, beautiful twenty-something uh, Oliver Queen. We're talking like um, a big moustache, um, kind of goatee. Yes, the Robin uh, Hood Robin, outfit. The Robin Hood outfit. Yeah, yeah. cool. Good. Yeah. Uh, back on the Watchtower, Mister Miracle. They've they've put him in like their med bay area. He comes to on a bed, and the entire league is standing around him. They ask if he knows where Superman is, but he doesn't understand. Uh, Jean explains what's happened so far on on Earth, and with obvious panic, Mr. Miracle explains that he only just escaped Apocalypse with his life. He doesn't know what's happened to Barda or the rest of the new gods, but if Apocalypse now has Superman as well, then they're all in big trouble. Wonder Woman confidently says the JLA has beaten Darkseid before and I'll do it again, but Mr. Miracle tells them they don't understand. Darkseid no longer rules on Apocalypse. He's a prisoner in the dungeons being tortured by Desaad. Apocalypse is now under the rule of someone even worse. Their enemy is the son of Darkseid, Orion. End of issue one. Ooh. There's a couple of couple of uh, flippy floppies there, uh, PJ. Yes, yes, there are. Is the... Um, okay, Edix's hat on. Is the uh, obligatory action scene of this episode... Superman versus Parasite. It is, yes. Oh, nice, 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 nice. So, where would where would this arc develop, PJ? Where would so, you take it? The rest of the arc, and the, this is a lot less detail here. So, my I've set my team up there. My team is, even though he's a prisoner at the moment, it's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Supergirl, Green Arrow, Aztec, and Mister Miracle. Mister Miracle is a very good shout. I would yes. say. Yes, no, well, I, I like that a lot. I'm a big fan of, of basically all those Kirby New Gods creations, but I think Mr. Miracle is my favourite, and he's got such a weird, distinctive look that I really love. And his skill set is so unique as well, just the whole escape artist aspect. So, yeah, he's he's great. Cool, uh, cool. Do you want to did do you, did you want to talk about where it was going from there? Or? Yeah, yeah. So basically. Yeah. Um, the story starts off in two strands, which is one is the bulk of the, the League heading to New Genesis with Mr. Miracle, while Aztec and Green Arrow, they have the 
it's a Marvel trope, but I want, I'm going to use it anyway, which is the heroes fight and then realise they're on the same side and clear up the misunderstanding and start working together to investigate what's going on in Star City. Um, I sort of have Superman appearing a few times as a silent antagonist. He'll attack the League, but won't say anything, and they'll be able to fight him off before I have a huge fight between Superman and Supergirl, during which she tears his shirt and they see a Starro parasite embedded in his chest. Disgusting, but wonderful. Yes. So, <laughs> now, this bit needs some work. I didn't work out the details, but Batman basically realises that the Starro parasites are different to what they've encountered before, and he tries to remove it using a concentrated burst of energy, using a device constructed by Science and Green Lantern's energy uh, powering. But... The process goes wrong, and while Superman is freed from the Starro Parasite, he absorbs too much energy and is transformed into his superior electric blue version. Which, okay, I'm already, already on board with. Um, it's interesting, I, I'm seeing um, definite uh, uh, flavours and inspirations here which resonate with me. Um, <laughs> like, like, I like a Danugogs. Um, Starro, big, you know big fan how could you how could you not like scaro yeah and uh and energy superman and electric blue superman and um i have uh, a similar note on uh, on my page as well <laughs> about about the superior superman well he, he is the superior superman and you know i'm very aware that i've probably got to turn him back to normal before the end of this story arc but if i'm playing with the jla for a bit then that's that's the superman i'm using cool uh so they discover that Orion has taken control of Apocalypse, but he himself is under the control of a new, more powerful version of Starro, the Starro Queen. Oh. On Earth, the Q Foundation have become aware of the Starro Queen and that she's making her way through the universe towards Earth. And they've basically determined that it's pointless to fight against her, so are instead trying to welcome her so they can effectively be her favoured uh, servants on Earth. And to do that, they unleashed an advanced scout troop of Starro parasites on Star City, which I did for two reasons. One, that's how I get Green Arrow in the book. And two, it means I can make a Starro City pun. I was going to say, PJ, because um, <laughs> I was gonna, because what you, what you may not realise is that Star is quite similar to Starro. So you see, I think what you, you may have inadvertently done, PJ, is, is made a wonderful pun right right there. But I did it entirely on purpose. In fact, <laughs> let's face it, that's the whole hinge that my entire storyline sort of works on. Given given that the Q Foundation um, had a lot of uh, kind of Aztec influences, uh, they um, the the I always get this I, I always get this wrong. But was it was it Tezcatlipoca? Was that yes. the the dark god they they believed they were? Um, so could it potentially be that in their worldview? They see, um, they see the Scar, the Queen as like um, a corresponding Aztec god of light, perhaps like, um, uh, oh, is it Quetzalcoatl or something like that? Like Quetzalcoatl, yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, so it, what I've gone with is they believe they've been abandoned by light, and the the Starro Queen is Tetzcatlipoca. and they're basically going, look, we we can't win, so if you can't beat them, join them. So it, 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 I'm just curious now. In their mindset, do what are their views on Mageddon? Do they genuinely believe that Mageddon was 
the Warbringer or the the Dark One they were fighting against, or was it like a false god? They've decided it was a false god. Oh, okay, okay. And to be uh, fair, they they were a bunch of weird fanatics to begin with. So... Exactly, financed by Lex Luthor. So, yes, it wouldn't take much for them to uh, kind of tumble off the deep end. Uh, and what I've done is Nueve, who was the ninth in line for the role of Aztec, because her name is Nueve and the first one was Uno, just made yeah. sense to me. Uh, she discovered what the Q Foundation was up to, which is why she stole the Aztec suit and runs away. Um, once Superman's back and everything, you get a, the story moves back to Earth and you get a huge battle between the entire league with Green Arrow and Aztec on the team as well now and a group of Starro-controlled villains in Star City. Just because nice, you, you know, if you're nice. doing a big JLA series, you've got to have that big battle with multiple villains. Uh, once that's wrapped up, you then go back to Apocalypse, where most of the League are forced to free and team up with Darkseid against Orion, while Aztec and Superman together battle the immense Starro Queen, which in my head is the biggest Starro ever seen. Do you it's huge? Do you imagine that there's maybe like um, a life cycle? Two super Scaro species beyond what we've seen. So kind of like the the big ones we saw in JLA, which were kind of like latching onto the planet. Mm. Are they like a, a junior or subservient form to the Scaro Queen in a way? Yeah. Like it, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, like um exactly. Russian dolls. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh she Superman and the Starro Queen do make her force her to retreat. Um, Superman has to use up his energy powers to do it. It's I've basically gone the Millennium Giants thing. He has to use so much power that it returns him back to normal. His power level yeah. goes back. Uh, and she retreats beyond the universe to the edge of reality. That's yes, is a Wonder World reference. Nice. Uh, but that causes the her parasite drones to die and release their hosts because I couldn't just have everyone in Star City die. I didn't want to do a, a Coast City Mongol Cyborg Superman yeah, scenario. We don't need another another atrocity kind of, you know, to to drive a hero off off the deep end sort of yeah. thing. We'd like nice to have a happy ending. Yeah, exactly. Of course, once Orion has been freed from the parasite, Darkseid turns on the league, tries to kill Orion. Uh Wonder Woman battles Darkseid to a standstill. Because Superman's still weak from the battle with with Starro, and I wanted Wonder Woman to have that big, powerful moment. Uh, and then Darkseid realizes, okay, you've helped me get my world back. I'm letting you go on this occasion. And League leave. They return to Earth, and they welcome the new Aztec into their ranks on a permanent basis. The end. And uh, everyone uh, kind of laughs and freeze frames like police files or yes. naked gun yes wonderful i like it pj i like it a lot i i, I worry that my 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 contribution is going to be quite disappointing by comparison <laughs> i mean i know that they uh the synopsis of the rest of the story is very bare bones i went a little more detailed on issue one and then i realized this is getting too long so i haven't written in the big hero moments for green lantern flash aquaman jean but they would all get them that every yeah. character would get it I, well, and I think that's fair. I think that's kind of standard kind of pitching practice, really. You know, like, it gives a loose outline for the, the opening six issues or whatever, and then kind of, you know, more detail on the first one. Can I uh, can I kind of describe my approach to this? Absolutely. 
Well, I um, I took a slightly different approach in that I well, a maybe if I'd done more more work on this, I would I wouldn't have. But um, <laughs> my 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 approach was less like a particular uh, story because uh, frankly, I, I I didn't quite think of one, but more a um, I guess closer to like a kind of source book for what my run would be. Okay. Or, or like a kind of statement of intent or like the rules I'd like to set out for a JLA story. Um, so I, um, firstly, I, I, I gave some thought to a team. Uh, and uh, like you, I've got uh, Superman, open brackets, electric blue, <laughs> close brackets, right at the top. Yep. So we've got to have um, got to have electric blue Superman in because he's fantastic. Uh, again, haven't thought of the exact reasoning why. Choosing not to worry about that at this point. <laughs> um, Wonder Woman, Batman goes about saying. Uh, Flash, Wally West. Um, again, I'm not choosing to concern myself with whether Barry Allen is back from the dead or not or whatever. He's not my Flash. I want Wally. Yep. Uh, same would go for Green Lantern. So uh, for me, it's got to be Kyle. Yep. Um, I think one thing I I kind of liked about the era of JLA we're revisiting is that at that particular moment in time, and correct me if I'm wrong, there really was only one Green Lantern left in the universe. Yeah, Kyle and, was and the that, only one. And that was Kyle. And that made it kind of, to me at least, it made it kind of um, special. Uh, it's one of the things I've always had a little trouble getting on board with, with Green Lantern. I I know it's essentially meant to be police, a a police forcing space and a, uh, a power ring is no different to being given, um, uh, a service revolver. Like if you, if you're in the police force, it's just meant to be a weapon, but, but, but like a badge of honor. Um, but I, I guess, to me at least, that kind of it makes being a Green Lantern a little less special to me. Um I liked the idea there was something kind of special about the idea that Kyle was the last of them and he was kind of carrying a torch for for the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, I did like that aspect of his character too. And you did still have Guy Gardner and John Stewart around at the time, but Guy Gardner was Warrior and John Stewart was on the Dark Stars, I believe. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he became a Dark Star. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so, um, in, in the years since, and so, cause God knows there's so many Green Lanterns and there's more with every year. Yeah. Uh, even just for Earth, like they, there's like eight or nine of them or something. It does feel like every writer who comes on the Green Lantern these days brings in a new Green Lantern to be the main character. Yeah. And, and I'm sure some of them are very good characters, but. I, yes, I'm sorry. Not saying they're not. I just, I cannot help. I do, I do feel there's maybe like a a slight dilution of what makes being a green lantern so kind of amazing to me. Yeah. Like it was, it was the thing I really liked about the character when I first picked up JLA was the idea that um, I'd never seen a superpower like that at yeah. the time. Certainly. It's quite, it's quite a common one now because people pay homage to green lantern a lot. Mm. Like having a character who can make things out of plasma is quite a common idea now but i loved that as a kid when i first saw it i was like oh this is so cool what a cool idea um so i would say that regardless of continuity 
this could still work, even if there's nine Green Lanterns on Earth or whatever. But the Green Lanterns are forever being called away across the universe on business. Kyle, for whatever reason, is back on the JLA. Easy, that's, that's, that's an easy fix. I just yeah. like Kyle, and I'd, I'd want him in his classic costume because yeah. I've never really cared for his subsequent costumes. So, and then I'd have obviously Jean because I think Jean is uh, is a mainstay of You've the league. You've got to. You've he's got, got to. to. He's, I think he's, that's that's a sign of everything that was wrong with the new Fifty Two is that Martian Manta wasn't he? Martian Manta wasn't just not on the JLA. He wasn't a founder anymore. Yeah. It, it's so weird. They put him on the authority of all things, yeah. didn't they? Which is so weird because I, I liked the authority back back in the day, and um, it just seemed to please no one. Like it was, it, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't it wasn't pleasing the old fans, and it wasn't pleasing the new fans either. Um, and the only um, maybe maybe controversial point I, I would say here is is that I could personally live without Aquaman. Oh, okay. And I'm not saying he doesn't have a place on the league, and I'm not saying he isn't a founder. I just I think if I had a choice, he wouldn't feature in my particular run. And I I think one of the problems with Aquaman, and I'm not I'm not making a joke here, but oh, he can only talk to fish, because that's not that's not Aquaman. I, I think the problem is when it comes to team dynamics. And the reason I feel that Aquaman is so often sidelined is that he fills a niche, well, he tries to fill a niche, which is already occupied by different characters. So he is um, he is of regal blood. So he's got that kind of other kingdom, other world, he's noble thing. And he's also a bit of an outsider. He has kind of authority issues and uh, doesn't like taking orders. So really, he's like a combination of Wonder Woman and Batman. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, he's got he's got one foot in the world of uh, mythology and having like a, another kingdom like Themyscira or the Greek gods, and um, and yes, and he's surly like Batman. So I I feel that's the Aquaman problem. I feel that's why I feel a lot of creative teams don't know quite what to do with him because he's you know w- what is he bringing to the team so to speak. Um, but yeah, so I think in my particular run, I would I would leave Aquaman off, but I really I really want to bring Wally and Kyle back on, and so so essentially working with the Magnificent Seven minus minus one, the Magnificent would, Six, the Magnificent Six, the prequel. But what I what I would like to do is is bring more characters in mm-hmm. because um, big fan of the era of Morrison's JLA we've just come through, where we essentially had the core team. But I also I also liked uh, later later iterations, both both by Morrison and by later creators like uh, Joe Kelly's run. So um, I like a slightly larger team. And one thing I, I quite like about the JLA, as opposed to the Avengers, is that the the, the JLA and its cast are so often. Um, they're iconic mm. and they are avataristic, I would say. I can't really think of a better word, but yeah. they're almost elementals in a weird way. Like um Flash is speed. Uh Kyle Green Lantern is creativity. Aquaman is water. You know, they they mm. it's like um they all bring a unique 
it's 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 rarer i think that you'll get a um uh just a hero with a generic combination of powers i think um they they often are quite primal in what they represent and i do like um i do like the idea of kind of picking from other kind of uh other jla cast members other dc characters could kind of think well who could who could stand on that level uh, so i have some notes pj i have, I have quite uh, quite a long list of characters here and <laughs> I, I, to this. I don't think that all of them make the cut so there's going to be some honorary mentions but there are some i would like to be up there so first and foremost uh firestorm okay so not a character i have a massive affinity for I would say, but I think there is something so weird and iconic about Firestorm's design that I think he could well hold a worthy place on the team. I, I, I've read iterations of the comic where he is on the team. So I have to say, I don't know what particular version of Firestorm it would be. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, I. But I, but I think there's something there i think i just the powers he brings and his look i think he's worthy of being a big leaguer pardon the pun i would now here's another one here's another weird one because i'm bringing characters on who (laughs) this is almost like i don't i'm almost choosing this character because i feel they belong on the league or they deserve to be on the league but not because i'm particularly close to them in a way and the second one would be red tornado you got me there. I have a very strong affinity for Red Tornado because of Young Justice. Well, yeah, here's the thing. I I don't know honestly like my my primary knowledge of Red Tornado is through the Young Justice TV series of all things. Oh yes, yeah. Other than I've seen the character, you know, over the years, never really read any comics that he's in. But there's something about his look and his again his powers it is very unusual to have a big league super hero who can control wind mm. it is not uh it is not an obvious power for an overtly heroic character because you know we like fireballs and lasers and stuff so, and i i just think because again going with that like avatar esqueness there's something so unique about being able to control tornadoes and generate gale force wind that i think would be really interesting to work with um i would dictate that his costume or his skin being a robot no 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 yellow lines on it uh there's certain versions of red tornado where he's got like yellow lines running down his arms and his legs i think that's awful Absolutely okay, because that's that's the version I picture. That's my favourite version because that's how, no. he, how Todd Nauk drew him, drew him in Young Justice. I know, and I, I I just fundamentally disagree. For me, Red Tornado has got to be completely red, top to bottom, yellow arrow on his on his forehead, and a blue and yellow cape. Okay, we can, as long as you're keeping the yellow arrow on the forehead, we can compromise. That's fine. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just saying it's clean, it's sleek, um, it's just oh yes, chef's kiss. It's iconic. Okay, so uh, a couple of um, rapid-fire ones for you now. Uh, I am aware that uh, the JLA, uh, even the Magnificent Seven, uh, not uh, it's a bit of a boys' club. 
it is it's a bit of a boys club we have wonder woman not many other big female characters i have gone with not supergirl but mary marvel oh that is a left field choice and i like it thank you this this would be like one of my wild cards uh i um I think the Captain Marvel, and sorry, Kiggs, I know we're meant to call him Shazam nowadays, but I'm like, just, I think the Captain Marvel family is 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 lovely. Like, I, I think the the mythos of saying a magic word and transforming into a superhero is just amazing. Yeah, and I love that it doesn't need explaining because it's magic. It's just fantastic. Um. So again, rather than having the big red cheese on the team, because I think there'd be too much of a playoff against Superman and the two of them being a bit too similar, I think Mary Marvel would be a great addition. I love to... that choice. I really do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Another slightly weird one, PJ. How do you feel about Natasha Irons? Oh, uh, Steel. Uh, Steel's daughter. Yes. Daughter? Yeah. Yes. I I would like to see Natasha Irons as the new Steel on the team. Now, am I making this up, or did she take over as Steel for a while in the comics? I want to say she... after Our Worlds at War. Which one was Our Worlds at War again? Um, it was... I can't really remember who the... It was some new bad guy, but it was a crossover that started in the Superman books and ran through everything. It was this huge, huge war, and then at the end of it... Superman oh. had changed his chest symbol so that the background was black to commemorate uh, the lives it, lost. Im- Imperiex. It yes. Was, uh, it was Imperiex. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Steel had... Oh, God, why do I know this? Uh, Steel had ended up wearing a suit of armor which was made of half-apocalypse technology and half the converted armor of an Imperiex drone which was meant to be made by Apocalypse into like the ultimate weapon against Imperiex. And it kind of looked like a badass upgrade to Steel's original costume, like it had like a big S on the front. Yeah. And John Irons put it on and it kind of controlled him and he may have died, but not really died, like he came back. But I think Natasha may have taken over for a while. Yeah, that's what's in my memory. But I like this choice as well. Thank you. So I I would like to see uh, Natasha Irons as a new steel. I would like to see Mary Marvel on board. Uh, Like yourself, PJ, I would like to see Aztec on the team. (laughs) And I was also thinking of a female successor to Aztec. Well, the the same reason I made made my Aztec a, 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 a woman, simply because I wanted more women on the team. So, yeah. Well, and again, I have not put half, a quarter, a, 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 a tenth the effort into fleshing out Aztec as a character as you have, PJ. So <laughs> I, I really like your take on on it. So can I just and 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 I will I will I've been talking for a long time now, but I just want to say the additional member of the team I would like to see on is Doctor Midnight. Oh. Okay. And uh, okay, and and the reason the reason I would do that is 
this goes into like my what I was saying about having like a kind of rule book, having like a a, a guide, show notes for how 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 the series would run. Um, I I don't want to be in that situation where I want to avoid the situation where whenever a new threat pops up, because I'd like to do kind of monster of the week sort of thing. I'd like mm. the league to deal with different challenges. I don't want it to be where the league are always suddenly there. Like um, uh, the league responds to a threat and the Magnificent Seven are just, they all respond as one. I, I want to run the JLA like a real kind of organization and to have people kind of um, in different places at different times. And I want to go back to the idea of Batman not always being there. Yeah. Like uh, it's like it's like it's the Wolverine problem. It's the Wolverine <laughs> problem. Batman is so cool; he's too cool for his own good that he's always on scene. Batman should a hundred percent be in the league, but I kind of I kind of figure that he also is very busy with Gotham. Yeah. So I like the idea of Batman having more of a consultancy role again on the league, like he did in the early days of Morrison's run. So my my reason for Dr. Midnight, because I, I've just always liked the character. I think he looks very cool. He I does like have his, a good look. I like his little weird power set where, again, he's he's just blind but can see in the dark and has smoke bombs, is a very good surgeon, and is also a Batman-esque punch-people-up kind of dude. I actually would just like... Batman brings in Dr. Midnight at his request to fulfill his role on the league that's basically my that's my thinking so batman is there batman is not not a member of the league but dr midnight is his practical day-to-day stand-in on the league which dr midnight is perfectly happy with Mm -hmm. and but you'd often see batman like he'd be there he'd be on a you know they'd be checking in with him they'd be getting his opinion on stuff and he would turn up to be ass when needed but I like the idea that Batman is very busy and has to delegate. I uh, yeah, I think I think you've got a good team there. I'm, I like it a lot. Thank you. I now again, I have no idea of the threats they would face or what they would deal with. I, I imagine we'd work that out. <laughs> <laughs> we'd work that out in post. Um, but uh, oh yeah, and I had some weird honorary mentions. Um, yep. Do you remember, um, well, we haven't got to them yet in uh, our run on JLA, Bucks the Ultramarine Corps? Yes, very well. Um, Pulse 8? Yep. Um, for no other reason than I think he's a very cool character who was very underused. <laughs> I would like to maybe try and do something with Pulse 8. Um, Pulse 8, everyone, uh, is uh, ha- has the power to access the unified field harmonic uh which allows him to manipulate the fundamental forces of the universe so i'm sorry john i'm I'm not listening because i'm just realized i'm an absolute idiot it's only when you've just said it out loud that i've got the joke of his name pj (laughs) pj i have a i have a confession as well yeah it wasn't until I physically wrote it down earlier this week <laughs> that I realised it was a pun. Yeah, yeah. So everyone, his name is Pulse hyphen the number eight. 
And I'd always, and I think like PJ, I'd always just gone like, that's a weird name. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Pulsate. Pulsate. Yeah. Pulsate. Yeah. Yep, I'm there now. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, so Pulsate can basically can control the four fundamental forces of the universe. So uh, gravity, uh, electromagnetic, the strong nuclear, and the weak nuclear. And for no other reason than that, I just think that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Again, might might have something interesting to do with the character, might not. That's me, basically. Okay. No, I, th- I think uh, I, that's a really interesting team dynamic. I think you've created there. One. Well, thank you. I mean, one one thing again. I feel like you've you've got more of a uh, you've got more of a solid kind of plot line. I, I like I said, all I have are like a bunch of ideas and a and a, and a pocket full of hopes and dreams. Um, <laughs> but. But in terms of like a style guide, one thing I'd really like to do is have kind of like extraordinary characters in a cardboard a cardboard world, if that makes sense. Mm. So like, I, I, there's like an approach to writing or or presenting overpowered characters, of which the league undoubtedly are, uh, and that's to kind of I guess kind of keep upping the ante as well like you know superman is you know has a hundred strength points so the only way to have an interesting fight is to have him go up against someone who has 200 strength points or you know it's like it's dragon ball z basically everyone just keeps getting more and more powerful but i gotta be honest there was a a first draft of my plot i put together there where at the end i was like and then doomsday's there and then i realized no don't do that that's just no (laughs) that's too obvious I imagine in the writing room, there's like a little kind of glass box and a hammer. That's just like in case of doomsday, kind of. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd like. Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe. In in, but in, I guess in practice, I want to have these incredible characters moving through a world that I don't want to say real. It's not real. I just want it to have a weight to it if that makes sense i don't want to ignore gravity and the spin of the planet i just want these characters to be able to circumvent it yeah so i'm picturing i've just ever since we we started this exercise i've just had this this image in my head of um electric blue superman flying overhead and just making like a sonic boom and just kind of like shock right racing away and i know that's nothing new we saw that tons of times but just the the weight of knowing that they're playing in a real world, mm. if that makes sense. So, yeah. And again, in terms of like what they might end up fight, fighting, uh, clearly I, I have a bit of an affinity for um, uh, businesses, like <laughs> corporations and stuff. So, and and we haven't even got to him yet. But like, I love Prometheus in yes. the main series. I think he's fantastic. So I want to. I think we should definitely have a new villain or something like that for them to fight. Who's just smarter than anything, really, real cocky bastard who's planned everything. I think that would be, <laughs> be great. Basically, evil Batman. Where do you stand, PJ, on like um, the general kind of monster of the week threat for the JLA? Like, certainly post Morrison, it was less um, mustache twirling villain with a mind control device and more we're being invaded by the color purple or something like that. Like real mind bending 
threats? Where would you t- where where do you think the JLA should be going, or be, where would you take them in that regard? A mixture, to be honest. I I do really enjoy the monster of the week format, and you know, just having the occasional story that is just a fight. That's fun. But then I do like seeing them deal with something a bit weirder and a bit more out there from time to time as well. And I think with a book like JLA, that's what you need to do. I mean, the the plot I came up with, I basically thought, right, if I'm given, essentially, if, if I'm basically given one chance on JLA, six issues, it's all I've got, I can tell one story, that's the story I put forward. So I'm like, bringing in the Kirby stuff, I'm bringing in Starro, you know, this is what I'm doing. But if I knew I had a longer run, like I was, I had a, a, a Morrison and, and Porter run, for example, 30-something mm. odd issues, I think I'd want to do a mixture of the big fights and then like your weirder, smaller, existentialer threat. Would you, do you think you would do, because what, what, what are the tropes? What are the tropes? I, I, I'd be thinking if, if I ever got handed the reins to, say, Avengers or uh, JLA or X-Men or something like that, I'd be like, we've got to have some small threats to kind of like balance it. You've got to have a couple of two-issue kind of mm-hmm. things. Then what do you do? You've got like um, big doomsday device or big, big uh, a really overpowered monster or threat for them to fight. Yep. Uh, do you do something weird like a, oh, there's a virus or, or something they have to fight? Uh, a weird kind of environmental kind of threat or yeah. something like that. You've got your time travel story. Oh, uh, my God. Yes. That's, that's one. You've got your supervillain team up, so you're, you're in Justice Gang or your Masters of I Evil. was going to ask you about that. Surely that's the classic, isn't it? Like, it's, it's a point of inevitability until your team fights the evil version of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that that you can have variations of that because you've got all sorts of different versions of the Injustice Gang in, in JLA with all sorts of different characters on them. And the same with the Masters of Evil uh, and the Lethal Legion in Avengers. All, so many different... Like I think it was when they started on Avengers, the Masters of Evil was always... I don't think this is the case anymore, but it was always that the Masters of Evil was a group of villains who had appeared in the hero solo books first. Mm-hmm. And the Lethal Legion was villains who had appeared in Avengers first. That who, was how you differentiated the teams. Just remind me, who... Who was the Lethal Legion again, and when did they turn up? First incarnation of the Lethal Legion was put together by uh, Ultron, disguised as the Red Hood, in um, oh my god, yes. issue fifty something, I think, soon after Vision first appeared. I want to say, and it was Grim Reaper, oh. Power Mel- Man, the um, Melter. Am I dreaming? Melter was Masters of Evil because he was an Iron Man villain. Yes, he was, yeah. Um, Oh, God, I can picture that cover. I can actually... Yeah, there's four of them on the cover and I can't remember who the other two were. I do remember them being a slight step up in terms of competence from the Masters of Evil. Yeah, yeah, well, Masters of Evil had Pace Pot Pete on the team, so, you know. Hey, hey now, you... (laughs) You, you shut your liar's mouth, <laughs> or, or the trapster, as he as he, right, later he might have gone, been going by trapster by that point. Um, I was... I, I've got to admit, I do. I've, I've just looked it up. The original team was Grim Reaper, Living Laser, Man Ape, Power Man, and Swordsman. The living Living Laser. God, yes, no, I can picture that exact cover. That's so weird. Do you, I was actually because. Um, 
after Rock of Ages, I was thinking about the Injustice Gang, and I was thinking what an awful name the Injustice Gang is. Um, do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, but it's it's one of those awful names, but it's clearly something that they came up with in probably in the sixties. I, I imagine that was the first Injustice Gang, and in, when Justice League was first going but it's the same as um the x-men and how magneto's team was the brotherhood of evil mutants and this is a guy who's supposed to think he's doing the right thing and then he's fighting for mutants and he calls it the brotherhood of evil mutants i do like how in later in later x-men stories they kind of in universe in universe retconned that where magneto rebranded and they just became like the brotherhood of mutants yeah strange i was uh i was googling old incarnations of the injustice gang and i have to say they've very rarely been a-listers like um mirror master is quite a common member mm. of the of the of various incarnations of the justice gang or probably various incarnations of mirror master but um yeah but <laughs> They sometimes are a bit, they're a bit weak. Some of them, to be honest. Like, I've got to be honest. I don't think I've actually read any other Injustice Gang stories besides Rock of Ages. So it's not a team where I'm as familiar with the history of of that name and who else has been on it. But I imagine it is more D-listers before Lex Luthor gets his hands on it. There was like Clock King, <laughs> and oh god, I can't even remember. I mean, there's some yeah, some real kind of forgettable heroes. I actually, I actually find it a uh, villain. Sorry. I actually find it kind of mad that um, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's been a previous incarnation of the Injustice Gang before Morrison that had the Joker on it. It wouldn't surprise me. I feel like with Joker's character, other villains tend, um, except Lex, other villains tend to try and avoid teaming up with him. (laughs) Yeah. And it's only because Lex sort of has that thing that the Joker almost respects and that Lex can have a degree of control over him that, that means they can work together. I, I would probably have... I would add to my kind of source book for the series, I, w- I would put a ban on the Joker. Uh, not that I don't obviously like the character, I just think he's so everywhere at the moment. I, I would actually try to resist putting the Joker in well, a JLA book. I wasn't going to have Joker or Luther appear in my story. Like, I've got the the big villain fight where Starro controlled villains show up but Joker or Luther aren't physical fight villains so they're not going to be part of that and I was like yeah I've, and I've got Starro I've got Darkseid and Apocalypse and the Parasite and a big group of villains I don't need Joker and Luther to be in there I yes yes and and I I, 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 will, I will echo what you said there about them not being punchy punchy physical fighters because this is the thing that that does annoy me sometimes when it's like uh of course you know we're making an evil version of a league we're making an injustice gang of course we've got to have luther on of course we've got to have joker they they are their greatest villains of their respective heroes but you get the power dynamic because i i really 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 don't think the joker should be able to face batman in a fair fight i've never felt that way i Mm. i feel joker is dangerous because of the way he thinks and the way he acts um i don't care for any incarnation of a character where the two of them can just go head to head in a brawl 
I really, I've always felt that like um, Batman could knock the Joker out with like a backhand, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now Joker might kind of play dirty and kind of scab him or something like that, but yeah, it's the Joker's schemes that make him interesting. And I think with the best will in the world, like coming up against if Kyle, if Batman's got Kyle at his side, I, you know, I think Luther and and Joker would both be incapacitated immediately. And so I'd be like, I don't want those. I don't want those villains in that situation. Like, if Luther's going to be around, he's got to be plotting something from the sidelines. I don't want him putting on a power armor and going and trying to punch Superman. I think if you want to have someone on your Injustice gang as your Batman equivalent to fight Batman on his level, you've got to go with either a Deathstroke or a Bane. Mm. Mm, yeah. Yes, and I probably... And I can see... And I think... um yeah, I think you're not alone in thinking that because I think there's many incarnations where Deathstroke is the more obvious kind of Batman counterpart as being mm. like just physically. But again, it's weird, isn't it? Because if you, if you, PJ, I mean, I mean, you, if you were tasked with, hey, here's a here's a here's a file of facts, here's a here's a rolodex <laughs> of different villains' phone numbers, I want you to put together a, an injustice gang. Do you go out of your way to find someone who can? face batman toe to toe or do you bringing someone more powerful than batman like do you bringing black adam to face batman just because you're like well why why limit myself i would bring in someone to go toe to toe with batman but as in terms of body and brain you know there there are many physical threats that if you just put Batman alone in a room with them, Batman does not stand a chance. If he doesn't have any gadgets and he's he's just in a plain room, nothing, no way out other than through, as you say, someone like Black Adam, Batman doesn't have a chance. But if you're putting together a team to to balance out with him, and you you want someone who can counter him physically and mentally, which I think both Deathstroke and Bane are are characters you could go to who could do that, who can do that, and have done that in the past. I, and that actually makes me think of something I'd, I, I'd like to put into the series as well, would be to um, accept everyone's limitations and their their um, their overpoweredness. So say, for example, if um, if a villain in a, in a story arc was um, planning something to take down the League, it should never get to a point where, um, say, Flash and you're facing down against Flash and Batman. Because I would say, like, Flash's powers such as they are, would mean that um, even if you are uh, an A-list villain with a great deal of competency and you've planned everything, you really shouldn't be able to beat the Flash in a fair fight. You know, it, just because of the, the speed he moves. You know, like, literally, like, uh, I, I'd be thinking if I'm a supervillain trying to destroy the League, the moment I get into a room with a Flash, I've lost. So I'd be thinking, I want to do that, that kind of dealing with that realism kind of thing i'd be thinking well if i want to sensibly take down the league i want to engineer something to keep the flash occupied or to stop the flash even getting to that point sort of thing like oh uh you know earth i'm going to trigger an earthquake just to keep the flash busy or something like that yeah yeah i think it's something that um and it's a story we haven't covered yet we haven't decided exactly how we will cover it, but we know we want to cover it at some point. <laughs> but I think it's something Kurt Busiek deals with very well in JLA Avengers. Mm. Because you have this massive end fight, which 
partly driven by the story and the fact that they wanted to have every single character who'd ever been on either team appear somewhere, but where you have variations of different teams of villains and heroes battling, and you have Captain America giving orders and, and planning it all, and he tries to give Batman orders, and Batman just wanders off and does his own thing. <laughs> yes. And I think that sort of, it's, you know, the Batman's thing isn't that you fight him. Batman's thing is you have to try and predict what he's going to do and where he's going to be, and that's really mm. hard to do. And yes, indeed. And I think, um, you know, thinking about big battles, there's there's so often a desire to make your character kind of stand on an equal footing. So like, uh, you know, the idea that like, oh, Batman is Batman is Batman and he should be as integral to a fight as Superman. Like, you know, so he should be punching out Darkseid or something like <laughs> that. It's like... I don't want to see Batman punching out Darkseid. Yeah. Because as good as Batman is, in my particular worldview, his arm would shatter. Yeah. Like, so I want to see Batman being a mortal human and planning something, doing something absolutely amazing that turns the tide. But I still want there to be the risk that if a human being shot Batman with a gun, he would probably die. Yeah. And I think that makes the character cooler and just so much more awesome than having to put him in, say, power armor to make him go toe-to-toe with Darkseid, if that makes kind of yeah. sense. I think it's something that Morrison does brilliantly throughout this run on JLA that, that we're looking at, is Batman is never used in the wrong way. There are moments, we haven't really come to them yet, but there are moments coming up where Batman gets his ass handed to him. Mm because he's just outclassed by what he's facing. Exactly, yeah. And I, yeah, again, it, it just goes, you know, loving a character and thinking of them as cool uh, doesn't mean that they have to be invincible. Like, I actually, I, you know, I think having a character you love get their ass beat every now and then, I think actually makes them more endearing if they can pick themselves up again <laughs> and then go and save the day. I think that's awesome. This is why it... it it annoys me when there are certain subsets of, of fandoms that are all about these fights and who would win in a fight. And you get it with the Avengers movies and in the comics. The, the one I see the most is the Thor versus Hulk. Mm. And you've got the two sides and one side is always, no, Thor wins every time. And the other side is Hulk wins every time. And if one of them wins in a fight in the comics, they're like, well, that's unfair. And I'm like, it, th-, and they're like, this wouldn't happen that way. And I'm like, well, it did because that's the story that was written. You know, they've met a lot of times. Sometimes Thor has won. Sometimes Hulk has won. It depends on the writer. Mm. Also kind of which book they're in. If they're in Hulk's book, Hulk's probably going to win. If they're in Thor's, Thor's probably going to win. But, you know, it, I'm, I'm not interested in that Battleboard stuff. I'd rather have a story oh, God, yeah. which then, okay, one of them's going to win this fight. Why is the fight happening? How does that character win? I can enjoy the fight on the, yay, this is fun level, but... You know, I I don't care about strength levels in terms of, oh. well, that wouldn't happen because Thor can't punch Hulk that hard. Shut up. Yes, he can. No, I, 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 I agree so much. Like, I I don't want... I never want my superhero battles to be a Pokemon battle. Yeah. Speaking of someone who has played a lot of Pokemon over the years. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I no, just I love mean, Pokemon. I just mean... The outcome of a fight should not be determined by the stats of a character. Yes. Like, there is a there is a fantastic um, 
Spider-Man comic, which I, I, I randomly, a random floppy issue, which I picked up as a kid from a news agents in Portugal, of all places. And it, I think it was like some anniversary issue or something. It was from the 90s, but it was a bumper length issue of Spider-Man fighting Electro. Oh, the team up with X-Man. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And it is a fantastic story. And Spider-Man wins, ultimately, sorry, spoilers, by he makes, he has to go away and think and plan and he makes a rubber insulated suit to go fight Electro. And ultimately he ends up almost losing and then at the very last minute picking up a rock and throwing it at Electro's Mm. head and cracking him on the side of the head with a rock. And it is such a brilliant story. And I, I, it's sad that I can't remember who who wrote the names of who wrote or drew it. I, I want to say it was drawn by Steve Scrose, but I cannot remember who uh, who wrote it. But, yeah. No, I'm suddenly... No, I have no idea. Sadly, it was from an age in which I didn't really pay attention <laughs> to the creative team. But it was fantastic because... Spider-Man didn't win because he was the strongest or fastest hero, because he isn't. He's, you know, he's not certainly not the strongest hero in the world. He won by being, well, Peter Parker, frankly. He won yeah. by having a character and fighting inventively and using the city as a as a playground. You know, and that that shows a real creative flair from the team for actually thinking, how can I use this character in an interesting way rather than just using them in the most obvious way, which I thought was is, is fantastic. It's one of the things, using Electro as an example again, because Electro is a very powerful character if used right, and it was one of the things I actually really liked in one of the early issues of New Avengers that Bendis did, where the Avengers turn up to battle Electro, and Electro knows he's powerful, and he's instantly like... Oh, I'm outclassed here. And <laughs> you get the moment where Luke Cage says, well, how do you normally beat him? And Spidey's like, well, I web up my hands and punch him. And so Cage is like, web me up. And that's when Electro just goes, nope, I'm done. I'll tell you everything you want to know. Because even though he knows he's powerful, he knows the Avengers as a team can take him down. And it's that thing, It's it's it serves the story better. If you want to do your stats, there are Marvel Comics top trumps out there. Play that. <laughs> But you give know, me, it's not a story. Stats aren't a story. Give me Electric Blue Superman absorbing uh, the sound and light. No, yeah, absor- absorbing the energy of an, an explosion, but leaving the light, uh, and then using that additional energy to boost a massive rock into orbit. Give me that any day, because that is weird and wonderful. Give me Electric Blue Superman moving the moon back into orbit. Oh my god, that was a much The greatest example. Superman moment of all time. You know, you're not wrong, PJ. Yes, exactly. And again, Superman not punching someone, but doing something amazing. I, I think we've, we've mentioned it briefly before, but uh, going back to the Avengers again, uh, in the Red Zone story yep. arc, uh, uh, Jeff Johns and Olivia Capel. Uh there is a, the most fantastic thing I love. I just love this sort of shit where this massive cloud of flesh-eating smoke has spread across um, uh, a great big swathe of the American countryside. 
and the Avengers have to go into the heart of it to work out what's causing it. And so you have all the Avengers like putting on protective suits, you know, kind of getting into, uh, you know, uh, just suiting up, making sure they're safe. And then you have Jack of Hearts just going, no, I don't need one. I'm, I'm invulnerable. I love that sort of thing. Like just thinking about the way somebody's powers would realistically work mm-hmm. in a given a given situation, like Vision and Jack of Hearts not needing protective costumes because one is a robot and the other is invulnerable. Like I love that sort of stuff. It's creative. Or like sometimes if they go into space and some characters will be wearing full space suits, some will just be wearing a breathing apparatus and <laughs> yes. some just nothing, just their normal costume. Yes. Oh, yes. I love this sort of thing. Like, uh, again, they did a, they did a similar thing in the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes uh, cartoon. There's a great story with all the um, gamma related villains, and uh, they have to go into a gamma irradiated prison. And most of the Avengers put on protective suits, but Thor just walks in because he's Thor, and Iron Man just flicks a switch on his armor to make his <laughs> um, chest like glow green. Because he's now kind of processing gamma radiation. <laughs> uh, PJ, um, should we touch upon a couple of the other questions we've been asked? Yeah, let's do listener questions. Ooh. Listener questions. I like these. Should we do a quick one? Because uh, it's not really a question. It's more like a, uh, a shout out. Yep. Um, Andy, uh, Andy uh, Conduit Turner, friend Who's of the, the show. Who's the reason this whole podcast is happening? This particular episode. So thank you, yes. Andy. Our our Genesis point. Um, our Genesis <laughs> way. You had to say Genesis, didn't you? For God's sake, John. Um, our source wall. Andy Andy like CT it. writes. Uh, could you? Well, basically, he wants us to to read out the anti life equation. I mean, we can't do that because that would end all life as we know it if you say it out loud. It's just how it oh, works. Sorry, dude. That, I mean, that is a shame because I, I kind of had it like queued up. Uh, but uh, if uh, if you feel it's a it's a safety issue, we can it's, we can yeah, not. Too dangerous. We won't we won't get away with that. Uh, it's um, I was never very good at algebra anyway. So yeah, no, Andy, Andy, stop trying to destroy the world. Let's move on. The universe. The universe, please, God. PJ, give us a question. What have we got? So uh, we had um, two questions come in uh, from Dan Mitchell. Uh, his first question was, who is the best villain the JLA have gone up against? Now, do we mean in a platonic, otherworldly, ob- objectively best, or what, what do I think is the best? Well, I think I think it can be taken both ways. So, you know, who's your favourite villain? In my case, Starro. Come on. And then who who's, like, I guess come closest to beating the League? Who's done the best job of fighting them? I My personal favourite is Prometheus. Yes. He's very good. Do you know what? He might he's a candidate for best in terms of getting the job done as well. Cuz we're not there yet in the run, but he comes so close. I yeah, and again, I want to save some of this for when we actually talk about him, but like my first introduction to Prometheus was really like oh wow. 
the, the <laughs> it's going to sound stupid, but I remember like going, oh, wow, this is, these are edgy comics. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like these, yeah. these, these aren't kid comics. I don't mean because it was all like, you know, sex and guns and drugs and stuff. It was just like, he was so chilling in the particular panel in which I first saw him, uh, which we'll get to. Uh, but I remember thinking like, wow, this isn't, this isn't like a guy with a cold gun robbing a bank. Like this is a threat worthy of the Justice League. It was, yeah, yeah it really kind of sent chills down my spine. And I, I have such a soft spot for the character even now. He's also a character who I would say has only been done well three times. And yes. that is twice by Morrison and then once by Kurt Busiek. Um, oh, was that in JLA, in JLA Avengers? Avengers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I, I'm like, um, I'm like a kind of jilted lover because I keep kind of every now and then I'll check in on Prometheus. I'll be like, what's been done with the character since? Um, then regret it. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, oh, they've let themselves go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I hear about every subsequent appearance of Prometheus, and I'm like, why could no one else get it right? I mean, for me though, it is, it is just Starro. Because come on, giant space starfish. Yes, please. Is Starro your personal favorite, or do you think the actual best? No, he's my personal favorite. I think best Prometheus is definitely a, a strong contender. You see, I'm torn because Prometheus definitely my personal favorite. Starro might be up there as one of the outright best JLA villains, depending on how you define such a thing. I think. Star is certainly one of the most powerful, one of the most unusual and unique, but I've never felt that Starro... Prometheus made me feel scared for the League in their own book. Mm. Starro's never quite done that. In fact, I think I'm going to have to give best to Prometheus because I can't think of any other one that's made me think, oh, they might lose. They might actually lose. It's, it's so tough, isn't it? Because I... For example, I don't want to say Lex Luthor because no. he is a Superman villain to me. Um, and I'm trying to resist saying Darkseid. Yeah. I feel Darkseid is the obvious choice uh, because cause he's Darkseid. Like, you know, it, but I think Darkseid casts such a big shadow that he almost kind of it just eclipses everything. Like, um, there's, a, there's a thing Mark Commode says. Like whenever anyone says to him, like, um, what's your favorite movie or, or what do you think is the best uh, sci-fi movie or something like that? And there's two ways of answering it. You can apparently say the right angle. You can say like the obvious answer or you can say the smart answer. Yes. So yes. like <laughs> the galaxy brain answer is Prometheus. And I think the obvious answer is Dark Side. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. My favorite is still Starro, though. I mean, Starro is so cool. I guess the problem is like you're never going to get like a great big cackling monologue from Starro. That's true. I guess Starro is more of a Starro feels more like an environmental threat. Yeah. yeah. And and it looks so cool. Like it is so kind of striking, strikingly weird. Do you want to give like an honorary shout out? Is there like um a JLA villain, which isn't the greatest or your personal favourite, but is worth commending? The Shaggy Man. Oh, the Shaggy, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I bloody love the Shaggy Man. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or um, by extension, 
the no, general. No, no, I much prefer the Shaggy Man. Give me your yeah, indestructible, mindless Sasquatch creature. Then the just rages. I'm like, yes. Then, you know, I do love the general. That's coming as well, and that's some great stuff. But no, classic original Shaggy Man for me all the way. Again, just fun. I uh, I really like I I really like the general who we will get to, listener. Um, at the same time, I might give an honorary shout out to um, a non Morrison JLA run uh, from Joe Kelly's run. Um, the Burning yeah. was quite cool as well. Um, a um, uh, a kind of an unfettered Martian mind uh, with like kind of immense shape-shifting telepathic powers. Um, yeah, quite scary. I think The Burning was was an honorary mention. Like it, it's, yeah. uh, it tried. Uh, so should we go on to Dan Mitchell's second question? Yeah. Who is the best Blue Beetle? Well, I have to my right a copy of the Dorling Kindersley DC Encyclopedia, <laughs> which I believe was current up. It was it's accurate up until the Imperiax the Imperiax War. So, post Morrison, post. Joe Kelly's um, run on JLA. So we're talking kind of like 2004 or 5? I would, yeah, my brain was saying around 2004. So based on that time, there were only two Blue Beetles. Oh, that's so pre Jaime Reyes. Yes, and I'm glad you knew their name because I was actually going to say. My only introduction to the third Blue Beetle has been through the Young Justice TV series. Okay. Well, I think we can discount Dan, discount Dan Garrett, the original Blue Beetle, because I'm guessing neither of us have much experience with him. Because nobody has ever actually read an original Blue Beetle comic. He appears in JLA Year One briefly. Does Mark he? Mark Wade stuck him in JLA Year One for a brief appearance. And that is the only thing I've ever read that he's been in. Oh, wow. God, that's a deep, that's a deep pull. Uh, well, in which case, I mean, for me, if only because I like, I kind of, I like some of the stuff about the new, the new Blue Beetle, um, the kind of alien scarab and the armor. I love the look. Yeah. Jaime Reyes's look as Blue Beetle, I think is really different for a superhero costume. And, uh, I, yeah, I think he's a fun character. I do have a lot of time for Jaime Reyes. I worry that it verges a little too much into Green Lantern territory, like the yeah. otherworldly thing kind of coming down and giving you powers, but very, very cool. And he's he's a good addition to, very much enjoyed him in the Young Justice cartoon series. But for me, it's got to be Ted Cord. Yeah, me too. And, and do you know the main reason why Ted Cord is my favourite Blue Beetle? It's because he's actually a little crap. <laughs> Yes, he's not very good at being a superhero, and, but he's got all those gadgets, and he just about scrapes through. And I love him for it. No, I I agree. I agree. I I love that he's a poor man's Batman. Yeah, you know, it's like if you are gonna run with the league and just be good at fighting and and quite smart, then Batman is the gold standard. And it is 
And again, maybe there's a bit of Hank Pym about him. Like, I like the idea of a scientist hero who's good, but isn't considered the best in a way. I think it comes with a degree of humility. And of course, there's the obvious, um, the, 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 the blue beetle night owl relationship and, and how they're essentially the same character. And yeah. the, the, is, is it, what's the name of his, his ship? The, the beetle. Oh, does it have a unique name? It does, but I can't remember what it is. Maybe I should Google it live on air. Maybe that would. <laughs> Maybe that would be good. Quick, PJ, fill, fill the air. Well, I, I think I can sum Blue Beetle up this way, which is, we'll we'll get to a. I think it's in Morrison's JLA run, but later on he he will show up, and he admits that the only reason he can wear his superhero costume is because he's wearing a girdle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Blue Beetle is. Me as a superhero, but much smarter and richer. But again, like it, 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 it cuts to what does it mean to be a hero? And and literally, you have a guy who maybe has a bit of a budget because he's been able to make all his incredible gadgets, but he's not the strongest. He's not certainly not the fastest. Um, even in terms of like having gadgets, his gadgets probably aren't as good as Batman's. But he gets the job... Like, he tries. Like, he kind of gets the job done. I feel like he he gets by a lot on cockiness. He's very, very cocksure when he's doing the superhero stuff. Very sure of himself, even if it's just a front. But there's a lot of cockiness to him that, that, uh, again, I think we are going to have to touch on later on, But because he he does turn up. But, yeah, I feel like it's, it's a lot of attitude and then a little bit more the gadgets. But that's how he gets by. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess you've got the the world's greatest bromance as well with um, uh, Booster Gold. Yeah, which is a nice, an unlikely friendship, I would say, which is quite kind of, uh, which is quite nice because Booster Gold is a a bit of a prick, <laughs> like a lot of the time. Booster Gold is also a bit crap <laughs> as far as superheroes go. They just both are, and there's so much fun to be had with that. But yeah, that's why Ted Cord is the best Blue Beetle. Not the best. The other two are probably better than him in terms of out being superheroes. But come on, Ted Cord. But I like I like his flaws. <laughs> yes, and again, I. <sighs> It's the thing about Watchmen, like you know, there's 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 a there's a there's a way of looking at Watchmen where you go like, oh yeah, like Rorschach is badass and and Night Owl is badass, and I I want to see a video game where the two of them just kind of like be ass, which did exist. There was a tie-in video game, and it was apparently awful to the movie. Um, and there's another way of looking at it, and basically, you know, you, you look at it and you think like, oh man, I wish it was more like a comic. You know, I wish they were actually doing comic-y things rather than being very, very, very human. Um, but of course, that's not what Watchmen is. But I confess, there's a part of me that did want the Night Owl action figure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. A, I wanted the, I wanted a model of the 
the night owl ship of Archie. I wanted the interchangeable costumes. Like yeah. I wanted the the Arctic Adventure Batman outfit. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Like that's a very child childlike appeal of a hero, which I think Blue Beetle kind of brings. The idea that he just has a gadget for every scenario. So I think we've answered that one then. Where do you stand on um, the uh, the time that Booster Gold lost his futuristic power giving suit or whatever, and Ted Cord had to make him a gnarly nineties heavy mecha suit, which he wore in the Extreme Justice comic series? PJ, I haven't read them. I didn't know that happened. Well, okay. Well, just knowing it exists, PJ, what are your thoughts on it? That it given sounds that, like something I need to check out. Given that it's everything you probably imagine it is right now. Well, I'm imagining Spike's chains and a cape, so Spawn for some reason. But Just, oh man, what happened to the word extreme? Why did we just start... <laughs> actually, Rob Leefield probably happened to the it word. It got used too much in the 90s, yeah. and then we just had to stop. Was that, was that not genuinely the name of Rob Leefield's imprint for a while? Wasn't it extreme I comics? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Which, that says everything you need to know. Can I just get, and also, can I just get something off my chest quickly? Absolutely. I, I hate Captain Atom's costume. Oh, with the flower on the front? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's meant to be. It's weird, isn't it? It's meant to be an Atom, isn't it? Like an old school Atom with like six orbiting um, electrons around it. But they'd filled in all the blanks with just colour and it now just looks like a weird flower on his chest mm. I'm not adverse to a guy being covered in white metal like skin like major force I think that's a fun look it's the red boots and gloves they add nothing to that costume well it's the fact that he's got like blue boots and red gloves oh or... does he in my head it's yeah. all red maybe that's just they changed it for the cartoon that's the I version think... I picture I think it would look better. I've got to Google it now. I just hate it. It's such an ugly costume. Yeah, it's not the best. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> He's Googled it, folks. He's looking at pictures of Captain Atom right now. And... Oh, what a shame. Oh, God, it's awful, PJ. Although, oddly enough, there's uh, there's an image here of, um, uh, I think, from the JLA cartoon where he, ju- he just has red boots, yeah. which is better. But I'm looking here at a... Oh, God. I mean, at least turn it into a maple leaf and call him, like, Captain Canadian Atom or something like that. It's Captain just... Canatom. <laughs> okay, we're not going to do better than that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, PJ, uh, do you have any more questions? I have one more that uh, that I saw that we received. This is from Oshin Edwards, uh, came through on Facebook. And he says... Does anyone in the league actually hold a law degree? And if not, how are they allowed to practice justice? Well, thanks for your question, Oshin. Ooh. I don't think they do. I think lawyers as superheroes is more a Marvel thing. I'm pretty, I, I can't think of any DC characters who, in their secret identities, have law degrees. Because Marvel's, as you say, Marvel's got at least two. Yeah. Uh, She-Hulk and Daredevil. Ooh. Well, we've, we've already got a... Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting. I can't think of one. No, me neither. Um, Obviously, we have 
you know, Dr. Midnight is a surgeon. That's a fairly respectable kind of day-to-day profession. Um, hmm. Do the league ever enlist legal help? I do they can't. have like a do they have like a lawyer on retainer? Do you know what? I really cannot think of of where that's maybe one of Jean's civilian identities is a lawyer. That would make sense. Is it is actually come to think of it, is that quite indic- indicative of a different approach to Marvel heroes versus DC heroes? I think so, because if you look at it, most of the league don't have other jobs. Unless you count billionaire as a job. Yeah. You've got Superman's a reporter, Kyle's an artist. That's it. In yeah. Run Wa- on JLA, isn't it? Yeah. Wally's independently wealthy, which I'd never, yeah. I, I'd never realised, which is very bizarre. Um, and Wonder Woman's just Wonder Woman, I think, at this point in the comics. Aquaman is a king. Is that and I, it? And I guess also, because for Marvel heroes were always, you know, traditionally bedeviled by legal problems like i think it's more likely that someone would try to sue uh the thing for property damage than superman that's the difference between the universes isn't it marvel is is more about or does more with the civilian identity and having issues in their private lives that complicate the superhero life and dc is more about hey look at these superheroes punching each other well indeed and and the idea that in the DC universe, being a superhero is like an actual legitimate career choice yeah. you could make. Like, if you told your parents, I'm going to become a superhero, they'd probably be okay with it. Yeah, you, um, you, your dad would sell a car to try and buy you your first suit of superhero armor, and they'd register you with the right agencies. They, they, yes, and they probably would. <laughs> the only thing I find... The, the, thing I, the times I find that a bit absurd in the DC universe is when um, the villains start like unifying. Yeah. Um, Like there's this brief, it might be an infinite crisis, I think, which I haven't really read, but a load of villains, mostly like flash villains have a march in a city to protest against hero violence. Oh yes. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, that's so stupid. Like I get, it's not even like an ironic joke. It's like being a villain is as much a genuine profession as being a hero. Yeah, and I think that's the difference between DC and Marvel. I think that sums it up nicely, actually. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you couldn't do that in a Marvel book. It wouldn't make any sense. But doing it in a DC book, yeah, I can kind of see it. Yeah, because I can kind of like, you know, I, I kind of see like if I gained powers and decided to turn to a life of crime with a fancy costume and everything, I'd probably be quite be quite a self-serving individual. like, <laughs> And I wouldn't necessarily really care about my fellow villains enough to tolerate their company. I'd be like, hey, can you help me rob this bank? Great. Then I, we do the job and then we just go our separate ways. I do not care about you. Yep. you know? uh, PJ, we have a couple more questions. Do it. Let's go for it. Uh, one is from the amazing Amazo, who or uh, Pete Silence. Oh, it's, it's not pronounced Silence. I can't believe he just gave away his secret identity. Well, okay, but it's so cool. <laughs> Pete uh, Pete Silence is such a damn good name. 
it's not silence it's two hours it's silence hi pete hi um <laughs> now uh the amazing amazer writes marvel amalgamated a whole bunch of their characters giving us moon squirrel soldier supreme oh, yes, iron hammer <laughs> what dc heroes would you amalgamate together so pj my brain initially went to the amalgam universe yes but this is not that is it no this is- no um I can't remember the exact details, but there was a Marvel story not so long ago where Marvel characters merged with each other. Um, there have also been other amalgams between DC and Marvel in the All Access Limited series, where, for example, Bishop and Superman were merged briefly. Really? So it was it was Superman with a goatee and an M on his <laughs> chest because he had the long hair at the time, and so did Bishop, so uh, etc. But if I'm if, if we're gonna just amalgam DC characters with each other, that's a good one. Um, I am uh, while you're thinking, PJ. I am holding uh, a copy of Multiversity. Okay. And ah, here we go. Sorry, I was just flicking through uh, the guide to the DC multiverse. Oh, because you already do have the uh, a Batman Green Lantern merge yes. in an Elseworlds book, don't you? Where he's basically Batman with a power ring. Which I guess kind of makes sense because you could, you know, Batman could just as easily have received a ring as everyone, as anyone else. But according to uh, the new DC multiverse, this is Earth 32, where all the heroes of that world are amalgams. Oh, are they? Apparently. This is the new editorial edict. Um, Again, doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because presumably there are a minimum, at least half... The heroes you'd expect from a normal world <laughs> if everyone's being combined um but yes you have bat lantern black arrow wonder hawk aqua flash and super martian i mean it just sounds like they've pulled them out of a hat doesn't it and combined their names i'd want to put more thought in it to them well it than that I'm looking at uh, a uh, Black Canary-Green Arrow combo, uh, which is basically just looks like Black Canary, but with a bow. Uh, Wonder Woman, but with hawk wings. Uh, Aquaflash is probably the most egregious, I would say. That name is awful. It, uh, I mean, I mean you... Flaquaman was right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you not call it like... Riptide or something like that. Yeah. Or Tidal Wave or, or something like that. Just Aquaflash, Jesus. And honestly, he looks like the Flash wearing a Flash costume, but wearing Aquaman's jumper over the top. Wow. It's really bad. And then Super Martian is basically... It's a green Superman. Cool. Yeah. So some things have been done. Who would you combine, uh, PJ? Okay. Zatanna and Batman. Okay. Have have it be a, a female version of Batman, but rely but has magic powers, relies a lot more on magic to do the hiding in the shadows and, and to where Bruce Wayne uses gadgets and technology to do his Batman stuff. It's doing similar Batman stuff, but using magic to do it rather than grappling hooks, for example. Um, 
and probably just call her the bat. <laughs> or, uh, but yeah, I think Zatanna or, and Batman. Or, or Namtab. No, because no, she's uh, she's a lady. Oh, so sorry. It would be uh, um, Namautab. Namautab, indeed. Um, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd mix Zatanna and Batman into uh, as an amalgam. Um, I One of the leaguers I had down here who didn't quite make the cut was uh, the Ray. Mm-hmm. Because a bitching costume. He does have an awesome costume. Such an awesome costume. Um, has the unfortunate problem of, because he has the powers of light, a lot of overlap with the Flash. Yep. Can you just stick them together? Well, then Except you get Light Ray of the New Gods, don't you? <laughs> basically get Light Ray, yeah. Um, oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Amalgamating DC heroes... Because uh, some of because they're so powerful already, a lot of them, you don't want to give them more powers to make them even more powerful. So you've got to try and ba- balance it in a way that doesn't overpower the character, mm. um, which is tricky. Like maybe if you if you merge Superman and Aquaman, and you basically get a Superman who can breathe underwater, who has a a beard. Yeah, and a hook for a hand. How about... How about... I'm thinking now. Um, I quite like the idea of Flash and Green Arrow. Give Flash a bow and arrow. That would be what, fun. What, you can, you can shoot an arrow and then kind of like... And then run, overtake it. <laughs> overtake it, yeah. Um, you could have... You could combine like the source of someone's powers with the power set of another character. So you could have Captain Marvel combined with Batman, say. So he shouts, um, "Bat!" He, yes, because he has the um, the. Uh, hang on, wait. Shazam is. It's like each of the um, letters is Solomon a, Hercules. Uh, Atlas, Atlas, Zeus, Apollo, another one, Apollo, <laughs> Artemis. No, it's Mercury. Yeah. So, Batman would be like, um, oh, 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 PJ, PJ, this is it. No, no, we need, um, we need uh, television detectives. <laughs> uh so, uh. A would be um or or help me PJ, help me PJ. Um like you've got Columbo, you've got uh uh Murder She Wrote, you've got uh what we can make an acronym, we can do it. I don't think we can. I've got Magnum, um Uh the No Magnum's good, Magnum PI's good. Uh who, oh god damn it, who is um Jessica Fletcher? Jessica Fletcher, thank you. None of them. We need we need some vowels. <laughs> we need vowels. Um, or like I just keep going back to Magnum PI. That's all <laughs> I can think of. Uh, a detective with a B name. Oh, it's Batman. Be, Batman. The the wealth of Bezos. Oh no! Um, oh no! 
But no, wealth we've gone Bezos, too far now, John. We've gone too far. The ah uh, oh, no, no, it's gone. Okay, yeah. So um, but yeah. So basically, like um, a young Bruce Wayne shouts Shazam, instantly killing his parents <laughs> and becoming a grim figure of the night, and then he he only has to say it again, and they're back, they're back, they're back alive again. And he is but a boy. I think what we've learned here is amalgamating DC characters is really hard. It is really hard. It's very hard to find a new something that hasn't already been done. Now, if you, if I'm you happy said, with my zap bat. That is that is pretty good. If you told me now, now let, let's take that off the table, and maybe for another day, if you told me, John, hi, it's me, the King of Comics. We need you to write Amalgam 2. Now, you see, that's a conversation I'm willing to have. Yes. You know. Um, something for another day, perhaps. Uh, we do have another question. And what a question to go out on, PJ. Because it's a final question. Let's one. do it. So, again, from Andy, uh, the king of the question, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the lightning, the rock, and the chain, Andy CT asks... If you could return to JLA Avengers, the famous crossover, which we will get to in time, hmm. and you had no restrictions around legal and PR issues, who would you pick to actually win a contest between the teams or individual matchups? So I'm just going to say here, I, I don't think Kurt Busiek put a foot wrong with his matchups and with how they played out. I don't think I would change anything he did. I One thing I might add, because it's the Marvel versus DC fight I really want to see that has never been done. I want to see a fight between the Hulk and Doomsday. Because, yeah, you, you have Superman and Doomsday. They battle each other to the death. But I think the Hulk fighting Doomsday might go a little different because, as we all know, the angrier Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets. And I think Doomsday would make him pretty flipping angry. That is strong. That is strong. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think I think uh, Kurt Busiek's uh, George Perez, JLA Avengers, is uh, a damn near perfect tribute to the history of both teams. Um, Andy, I think, uh, whether intentionally or not, I don't want to put words in his mouth, is almost alluding to the uh, to Marvel versus DC. Yes, uh, which is a very '90s book about the '90s and very much more of a an outright competition. Like, uh, who would win? Basically, it's who would win the comic. And uh, they had the fan votes, which were just so. You know, in a fan vote, Wolverine is always going to beat Lobo. That's just... Yeah. And I don't even know why they match those two up other than they both had attitude. They both um, would smoke a cigar after scabbing someone. Yeah. And mm. and the, and again, you, so the, there were five fan vote bouts, which was Superman versus Hulk. Superman was always going to win. It was the Professor version of the Hulk, so it, it makes sense. Batman versus Captain America. Batman was always going to win that one in the fan vote. Spider-Man versus Superboy. 
That's and really I think that that's only because they had to have Spider-Man in the fan votes because he's the big Marvel character. And they were like, DC don't have a Spider-Man. But at the time, Spider-Man was Ben Riley, a clone. Uh, DC yeah. have a clone. So he fought Superboy. That was literally the reason for that matchup. And I believe, again, but again, in a, in a fan vote thing, public getting to choose, that's going to go to Spidey. Wolverine versus Lobo. Which I still don't understand. The one that did surprise me was Wonder Woman versus Storm, which I assume they did because at the time Marvel didn't really have many big female superheroes. It was when the 90s X-Men heyday, so Storm was about the best they could do. These days it would be Carol Danvers, it would be Wonder yeah. Woman and Captain Marvel. Which is weird, isn't it? Because Marvel never really had a character in that particular mould, as yeah. you say. Um, yeah. And Marvel has 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 never really had a a superman so yeah. so to so to speak in that particular way um yeah it's interesting how the character of carol danvers has changed over 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 time because yeah. she has definitely become now marvel's wonder woman oh very much so um, very much so but i think it does show you how popular the x men were at the time that in that fan vote which in my head would go to wonder woman actually went to storm it is curious, isn't it? Because the the problem with the Marvel versus DC crossover is that, as you kind of said, with with the fanvo element, it's not it's not really a story, and it's not really a it's not really a, a realistic contest. It's uh, it's comp- it's comparing uh, character history, basically. Yeah. Like. Um, you know, if you were to do a similar thing nowadays, you might, for example, say, oh, it's Superman versus the Sentry. Something like that. You know, two incredibly strong, well, Superman-esque characters. But Superman would win because he's not, it's not top trumps. It's not, um, it's not even an inventive battle. It's just who has the bigger imprint in culture. Yeah. And that's who's going to win, which is why it was very surprising that Wonder Woman didn't win that fight. Well, you have to remember how huge the X-Men were in the early to mid-90s. They were the biggest selling comic book every week, basically, for years. Um, And yeah, they had the cartoon that had come out by then. So I think when you think about it, Wonder Woman hadn't been on TV for a while. She didn't have a film yet. So while culturally people tend to be more aware of her. Among fans at the time, there was nothing bigger than the X Men. It's true, actually. I mean, the Avengers certainly were no, no never really had been until no. the last decade. You know, the Avengers were not a well-known team. Um, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't Rogue versus Wonder Woman. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, two strong characters who can fly. You'd think that would be a an obvious one. Um, I feel like DC versus Marvel, they had more fun and more creativity with the fights that weren't voted for by fans. So, you know, your Thor versus Captain Marvel is quite a lot of fun, actually. Um, I really like Namor versus Aquaman, where <laughs> Aquaman wins by dropping a whale on Namor. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I have more an affinity, say, with Namor, being, you know, uh, having read Fantastic Four for years, but. Um... He's not as interesting a character as Aquaman. Well, I think, it's, I think. It's, that's what Aquaman says, isn't it? You won't win this. And do you know why you won't win? Drops a whale on him and he just goes, you won't cheat. And I kind of love that moment. And it does feel true to both characters. 
There are some weird pairings, like um, Green Lantern fighting Silver Surfer is yeah. an unlikely one. Because I, I think, um, I don't know if they were looking for someone of a similar power level or I something like that. I think it like was a, a power level and the fact that they're both sort of cosmic characters. Yeah. Uh, and actually the prologue to DC versus Marvel was a prestige format Green Lantern Silver Surfer crossover book. Which they where they meet and they have a bit of a team up. Is that actually a pro, a genuine prologue? The it? end of that book is because you know the DC versus Marvel. You have the bum in the alleyway and the box, the weird the, shard of the yeah, two universes. The yeah. very end of Green Lantern Silver Surfer is the box and the bum in that alleyway and the Seriously? box starting to shine with light and it goes to be continued and it leads into DC versus Marvel which is why as well Kyle and Silver Surfer have a bit of look we met as allies before but now we have to fight that's so weird because I remember them going like oh we've met before and I just assumed that was oh they're they're just referencing some kind of we've talked about crossovers before and whether they are or aren't in continuity like um, in, in Marvel versus DC when Spider-Man meets Joker, Joker's like, oh, you've changed your costume since we last met. And of yeah. course, Spider-Man being a clone has never met the Joker before. But I I don't know. I kind of, I, I thought that was kind of, my young brain was like, oh, that's kind of cool that they there has been a crossover before. I don't know what the hell that crossover was, but they did meet at some point. When you start to try and slot DC versus Marvel and JLA Avengers both into continuity, it all falls apart. It really does. Yeah, it's probably best not to think. I think about you can it just about much. fit one of them in, but not the other, based on other crossovers. And I tend to favour JLA Avengers is currently continuity for the Avengers. None of it is continuity for the JLA. Yes. Yeah, there was. Yes, because after JLA Avengers. Kurt Busiek ended up writing JLA. Yeah, he wrote a, a sequel to that story that references, without mentioning by name, the Avengers and sets up or, or follows on from a thread he sets up in JLA Avengers. Yeah. Um, but then that was pre-Final Crisis, pre... Um, not Final Crisis, sorry, pre um, the Flash uh, one. Flashpoint. Flashpoint, yeah. yeah. When everything in DC rebooted. Well, who would I, if I had to pick a one-on-one fight, who would it be? Hmm. Got a lot of time for Hank Pym, as I've said. You know, kind of like classic, classic. But who would he fight? This is the thing, you fight your brain, you try, you find yourself trying to find a counterpart. You, you try to find someone where it would be a fair fight. I'm falling into the Injustice Gang problem again, where I'm <laughs> I'm deliberately trying to match power level with the people I'm trying to dominate. Because it, it might... Maybe something like Blue Beetle versus Ant-Man slash Giant-Man is a good fit. Mm. But, like, it would almost be too easy, because I'd be like, well, yeah, Hank Pym would obviously win. Um, Obviously, obviously, of course. Well, that's it. DC have... Shrinking character, but the atom shrinks in a very different way to Ant Man. They're not really similar, even though they're both shrinking characters. Mm. But then the atom doesn't also grow. So, no, and the atom can't like shoot lasers or control insects or anything like that. Like, I, yeah. I do admire their restraint with the atom, where they've never found the need to suddenly bulk up his powers to make him like 
an epic fighter. Like I like yeah. the idea that he he's just a scientist who can shrink. Yeah. Um There isn't like a Jean Jean's comparison, is there? Like there is no character like Jean. Well, in I think Marvel. In, in JLA Avengers, Busick puts him up against the vision, which does kind of make sense to me, in that they can both go intangible and they're both sort of the outsider characters. Um, but in terms of the actual power set, no, I don't think Marvel really have a Jean. It always kind of bugged me that Jean's psychic powers worked on the Vision. I don't know what the general kind of editorial stance is on whether the Vision is susceptible to telepathy. I'd I like the idea that him being a synthetic human, he wouldn't be. Mm. But that's just me. Well, in the um I don't think Jean was in the All Access, the miniseries that came after DC versus Marvel, because the fourth issue of that was X Men JLA. But they pit. Uh, I don't think Jean was in it, or if he was, I don't remember who they had him go up against on the X Men. The interesting matchup for me on that one was because obviously the JLA have Superman. You'd think the X Men wouldn't have anyone who could take him down. They put him against Jean Grey, and it worked really well because she could just psychically attack him, and Superman couldn't do anything about it. That is. Yeah, that is that is a good point, actually. I, I do like the idea that the, the X-Men have always had a pedigree when it comes to telepathy. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, God, like o- o- Omega, le- Omega level mutant. Yeah, they're pretty gnarly. If you can deal with the Superman problem, <laughs> most most plots have got to revolve around how do we incapacitate Superman in some way. And while we haven't got there yet, I think one of the best examples of that, again, is Prometheus. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, no, guys can be good. looking forward to that. That's gonna be good. Um Yeah. It's a tough one, isn't it? I'm always I've spoiled for choice. That's the problem. I, I've always had a soft spot for Wonder Man. Yeah. Wizard magazine used to do a feature that was like hypothetical battles between heroes. Yeah, I sent them some suggestions and they never did any of them. Because they had an email address that was like, do you want to suggest a battle? And they'd commission an artist to draw it as well, wouldn't they? So, I remember seeing they had Wonder Man versus Wonder Woman. And this was in the uh, uh, the Busick Perez time when Wonder Man was made of um, purple plasma. Ionic energy. Ionic energy. God, I loved it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they decreed, of course, that Wonder Woman would win. Yeah. Um, I I have a soft spot for Wonder Man. I don't think many people in the world do. Uh, I, I have a soft spot specifically for Kurt Busiek and George Perez's Wonder Man. I yes. don't think anyone else has used him in a way that I've enjoyed as much as that. And he, whenever he's shown up again, I've been a bit, eh. But I love him in the Busiek and Perez run on Avengers. I like the I like the idea that excluding the Hulk, it is like on record that Wonder Man is like the second strongest Avengers. Uh, they, Avenger after they, Thor. They say he can he can hit with the force of Thor's hammer. His fists have that. That's something they actually say. I think a few times in the comics, don't they? But the only thing that's kind of like the reason he's not like Marvel's Superman, it's it's like a personality thing. Yeah, like he's he's just. I don't think he has the ambition. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's always been a kind of uh, at best B list hero, but probably yeah. more of a C list. Yeah, but I like him, and he's a striking look. Yeah, you know. definitely. Hmm. So unless you've got something to say, PJ, about like a, 
a particular versus team up. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Just uh, if any artists are listening to this and want to draw me Hulk versus Doomsday, I would love to see it. Oh, damn it. You did have an answer, didn't you? Yeah. You did say something good. Damn right I did. I always say something good, John. You know that by now. PJ, you've brought the thunder time and time again this episode, and I'm just like scrabbling at the back of the class. Um, Wonder Man versus Aztec. Why not? Ooh, that's fun. I like that. Yeah, do it. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got nothing. Who would win? Who would win? Well, let you decide, <laughs> listener. PJ, do you think we've 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 exhausted this this rambling and unplanned? Um, avenue of pleasure yeah I mean just thank you everyone for your questions that was a lot of fun and and thank you in particular to Andy for basically giving us the idea for this whole episode you are the wind beneath our wings Andy thank you but that's all I've got left yeah well I'm much the same it's been an absolute delight and I I guess the the, uh, in addition to a massive thank you to everyone who submitted um, questions um, big thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our amazing cover art. And you know. uh, Elliot Red for performing and composing and all the other stuff you have to do with music for our wonderful theme tune, Justice. And uh, I should say, PJ, because this is our kind of um, holiday episode, I suppose. And uh, traditionally, this is a, a time of being thankful for certain things. Um, it's been a weird year. Uh, we yes. started the show in a very different place to where we where we are now. Um, uh, turns out it was never a better time to start a uh, Skype-based podcast. Um, remote recording is all the rage nowadays. Uh, but but it's been great. Like uh, I can't believe we've got to the end of Rock of Ages. Like what a milestone! Um, it's it's been an absolute pleasure talking JLA with you. Oh, and and yeah, because we obviously we know what we've recorded, so you guys are going to enjoy those last couple of episodes of Rock of Ages, I think. So, but it has been. So much fun talking JLA with you, John. I have thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, will enjoy continuing to do so. Indeed. Um, is there any more to say, PJ? Is this is this is this the end? We we need some kind of like pithy, like closing remark or something. I've got two things to say. One, hey listeners, Merry Christmas. Two, so my JLA pitch there, DC, call me. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs>